Welcome to Women Volunteers, a GFWC NC podcast where we talk with women across North Carolina who volunteer their time in support of community improvement. We'll find out how they got started, how they manage these projects, and the impact of their volunteer actions. Welcome to our first podcast around the history of the General Federation of Women's Clubs of North Carolina. I feel it's important as we explore the stories and impact of the volunteer work of members of GFWCNC that we learn how our women's clubs got started and how that impacts what we do today. And I want to start by reading from a history book that covers 1901 to 1925, so more than 100 years ago. And the book is titled The History of the North Carolina Federation of Women's Clubs, 1901 to 1925. And this book was written by Sally Southall Cotton, a distinguished club woman and a noted woman in North Carolina's history. I'm going to start by reading uh, what is essentially an introduction, and then I'll read the first chapter, which is titled The Awakening of Womanhood. So the introduction. The federation we have formed, no selfish aim shall blight. Together we will ever stand for progress and for right. May wisdom guide us as we strive to make the earth less sad, while high ideals shall lead us on, and love shall make life glad. It's a pretty powerful opening, and I think it it really resonates today in light of, you know, being in a time period where there is great uncertainty and sadness in a pandemic, and you know, looking for ways to make the world less sad and more glad. So I'm going to read now from chapter one, which is titled The Awakening of Womanhood. What has been known as the woman's movement was a revolution, bloodless, but not purposeless. A new era in world history was imminent, but not yet visible. A psychic call from the infinity stirred the soul of womanhood, and unconsciously, woman responded to the call without analyzing or understanding it. It was a call for emergence from selfish individuality into broader service to the world. It was not confined to any one country or people. While Susan B. Anthony in the United States was struggling with prejudice in her demands for justice to women, Olive Schreiner in South Africa was writing and clamoring for the emancipation of women from the trammels of the past. Everywhere, woman, while absorbed by the duties of motherhood and homemaking, felt, without understanding, the inner stirrings of undeveloped powers but was afraid of the uncharted seas of effort which began to be visible to her. The psychic call had come to earth in ages past, but woman could not respond because she was not educated, nor prepared for new duties. But this time, 
a more educated womanhood felt the call and answered as best it could. In the past, education had not been considered essential to feminine virtues, and very slowly has woman attained to a higher education. It is an interesting fact that woman's activities beyond her own home began with an effort for more knowledge, more culture, and a demand for universal education. From the Garden of Eden to the present day, the tree of knowledge has allured her, and her persistent application of her knowledge to the betterment of human life has contributed much to the onward march of civilization. When the woman's movement began to express itself, knowledge and wider experience were her greatest needs, and intuitively she sought more education. Fortunately, it was at least offensive to old ideals, and she was not hindered in her pursuit of knowledge. Until now, almost all barriers to her advance have been removed. Educated womanhood is absolutely essential to develop the female of the species into proper mates for educated manhood and for the fulfillment through them of God's law of evolution, which forever calls for higher types. Reproduction is not evolution, for evolution means gradual and permanent improvement of the race, which can only come through higher spiritual types of both men and women. Only together are they one. The restrictive conventions of her isolated individuality gave to the woman of the past what would now be called an inferiority complex which was simply the habit of sex submission from which she will ultimately be emancipated. Many sex discriminations continue to exist in the law and in the social life, but they will ultimately be removed, as many have already been removed, by man's voluntary action. Individual security has yielded to the call for race progress, and in that progress, woman is a large factor. Without knowing why, woman is started on the adventure of self-development, facing with courage past race habits and traditions, masculine ridicule, once so hard to bear, and all the handicaps incidental to the attainment of an acknowledged equality with man. Man, while leading and dominating the animal kingdom, yet continues to belong to it. Yet nowhere else in the animal kingdom is the female subservient to the male, and the inconsistency is beginning to dawn upon him. So when the divine discontent, like a spirituous ferment, stirred the souls of many women and urged to action, the result became organized womanhood. The great need for strength and cooperation led to the forming of many organizations among women, all of them being for the benefit of humanity. The demand for suffrage, long ridiculed into obscurity, finally began to receive respect until justice prevailed. The Suffrage Association and the Women's Christian Temperance Union were the leading pioneers. The club movement followed. First derided, then tolerated as a passing fad, then acknowledged as good for women and for the world, the club movement moved onward, gaining influence and respect, though it has required years of faithful striving to bring it to its present status of respectability and usefulness.
man has been hard to convince of the difference between men's clubs and women's clubs, one being for pleasure and self-indulgence, the other for culture and reform. Man dislikes the word reform. It intimates a lack of perfection, which he is slow to acknowledge. Now the leaven has acted and new clubs formed for men's activities all have altruistic objectives and follow lines of public benefit and patriotic stimulus. That women should develop initiative of their own and have courage to follow that initiative once seemed absurd, but results have removed the fear that clubs would demoralize women and few are left who ridicule the work of organized womanhood. Organizations of women for church work and for literary culture had existed in many places, but the woman's club sprang from the need for wider fields of activity felt by the more highly educated womanhood developed by the 19th century. Perhaps no one will ever know why so many organizations calling themselves clubs widely scattered should have been formed in a limited number of years, each following its own individual line of action, and all with a view to the altruistic solution of local problems, yet with no intention of concert of action and no consciousness of the power to be found in united effort. Cirrhosis of New York City was the first women's club to become the focus of the limelight of publicity, and that club was the first public protest against sex discrimination, which had no sensible foundation. In 1868, Charles Dickens, the famous author, made a tour of the United States. On the eve of his departure for England, the New York Press Club gave him a complimentary dinner. Some brave and brainy women, themselves doing press work and other literary work, asked permission to hear the toasts and after-dinner speeches. Such a natural desire. Such a simple request. Not to sit at the banquet table, but in the gallery or anteroom and listen to the wisdom of the lords of creation. The managers of the banquet were horrified at the effrontery of the women and denied their request. Having prepared the tables and seen that all was ready, the proper thing for them to do was to go home. Rebellion was inevitable. We will form a club of our own, said brilliant Jenny June Crowley, herself a reporter and writer of note. We will give a banquet to ourselves, make all the speeches ourselves, and not invite a single man. So they did. And that explains why women's organizations are called clubs. Cirrhosis, from Soror, a sister, was duly organized, and when the banquet was given, the hearts of the women relented, and all resentment dead, they invited the men who came and learned that women could speak well and sensibly. The turn of the tide was marked. Twenty-one years later, 1889, Cirrhosis decided to celebrate its birthday by inviting all women's clubs in the United States to a banquet, which should be made the occasion of uniting them all in a national body. 
The response was a surprise even to cirrhosis itself. The invitation to the banquet in New York was sent to 97 widely scattered clubs. Delegates from 61 of those clubs appeared for the meeting and letters of regret were received from six. The meeting was a revelation to every woman present. To become united in effort, to feel the strength which comes from union of purpose and activity, gave to each delegate courage and enthusiasm for the declared purpose of working for all women. At that New York meeting, the General Federation of Women's Clubs was formed, composed entirely of individual clubs, which continued to be organized in many states, though the work was sporadic rather than concentrated, and no one had even dreamed of such a thing as a state federation of clubs. The first clubs were literary, but all eventually evoluted into broader lines of service. Women felt the need of higher culture and broader experience. Club life taught them discretion, self-control, self-reliance, forbearance towards others, eliminated the tendency to gossip by supplying something better to do, and laid the foundation for a sisterhood of women in the future. Maine has the honor of having first had a vision of greater strength from local union, and in September 1892, formed the first state federation of women's clubs, which immediately joined the general federation. Utah was next to follow, and then Iowa with 45 clubs in membership. Like an epidemic, the state federation idea spread from state to state. In six years, 30 state federations were formed and all joined the General Federation. Naturally, some confusion <laughs> resulted as the Constitution only provided for individual clubs and the respective representation from single clubs and state federations necessitated thought and changes in the Constitution of the national body. Problems were solved as they developed, and finally, every state was represented in the General Federation by its own state federation and individual clubs. Possibly the most outstanding recognition of the value of women's clubs in those early days was when the U.S. government sent Miss Helen Varick Boswell of New York to organize clubs in the Canal Zone. The construction of the Great Waterway, the Panama Canal, had become a combination of industrial and social problems. The skilled men in charge of the work were not contented without their families, and the unhealthy climate and absence of social life made their families reluctant to stay there. Between the Panama Canal and women's clubs, there seems no connection, yet by this means the problem was solved. A representative of the National Civic Federation, whose wife no doubt was a club woman, suggested that the need of social life in the canal zone might be obviated by organizing women's clubs there, thus bringing the women together with mutual aims and get them interested in their husband's work. So Miss Boswell was sent by the government to organize women's clubs in all the larger towns throughout the canal zone. The result was entirely satisfactory, both from an industrial and a social viewpoint, and the canal was built and no doubt many women disseminated ideas as well as happiness to their struggling husbands. Today, there is a Canal Zone Federation affiliated with a General Federation 
and its delegates attend the biennial conventions, all of which proves that woman's presence and woman's influence is needed everywhere. Now that's the end of that first chapter. And, you know, there's some interesting observations to me, um, specifically what we just talked about with the canal zone, what I just read about, you know, an unhealthy climate. And there's a little bit of judgment that's coming from perspective and a little bit of that colonialistic kind of um, attitude that we often see when uh, wealthy countries go into uh, other countries that maybe aren't as wealthy. I also think that uh, it's worth mentioning about how important the awakening of women was as a key part of the women's suffrage movement and leading to the club movement. And education was clearly a pillar of that. Um, And it became, and is today in the modern club, a pillar of the work that we do. We have an entire kind of category, uh, specifically, you know, a an area of volunteerism and an area of community support that's very specific to education. And in listening to that chapter and reading that chapter, you can see how important education was, and it is important today. And to provide a little bit of context, you know, access to public education in, you know, 1901, 1925 is not the same as what we have today. I'll use my great-grandmother as an example. She was from Roanoke and had no formal education. By the age of five, she was working in an apple processing plant. And she taught herself to read and write as an adult when her boys went off to fight in World War II because she wouldn't be able to communicate with them otherwise. And on the entertaining side, she taught herself to write with a Roanoke accent, which as a child, I remember getting her letters when my family and I lived um, way up north in Alaska. And it could take us days sometime to read those letters because we have to get in the mindset of that Roanoke accent. But it is um, important to note that education is important. And that while full equality for women has yet to be achieved, we have come a long way. And together, we will stand for progress and right. Women Volunteers is a podcast by Kelly Paul for GFWCNC. If you're interested in learning more about the General Federation of Women's Clubs of North Carolina and how you can join these amazing women in improving our communities, please visit us on the web at gfwcnc.org.